This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank, episode 147. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, 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 and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blanc. Today, I have a really exciting story because I have Jason Harris on the call. Now, you probably don't know Jason, but he just quit his job. His last day was four days ago. So I wanted to interview him when it was still fresh in his mind. He talks about that last day at the office, and it is so cool. Because the poor guy is so confused. He's home at three o'clock in the afternoon. His wife's like, what are you doing here? I'm not exactly sure. And everyone wants to be as confused as Jason is. And so he talks about his last day at work, his transition from a full-time W-2 employee to full-time investor. And then, of course, we ask him how he got started. And what I love about his story is that, man, he, when he got started, he was making $30,000 a year. He was like 23 years old. He had no money whatsoever. And magically, he got on this journey and now quit his job. So it's really Really awesome and inspiring story. So let's get right into it with Jason Harris. Here we go. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Looking forward to it. So today is a Tuesday and something very special happened to you Thursday. It was your last day of work because you've replaced your income through apartment building income. So I want to get in your story, but just wind the clock back a few days, Jason. It's your, it's your last day at work. Describe this day. So this is something my wife and I have worked towards for a long time. I guess long time is relative to some, but it was surreal. My office administrator knew that this is something I was working towards. I talked to my regional leader. It's funny, being a financial planner too, you help people get to real estate and usually that's through traditional investments, right? So your 401k and IRAs. And so I just told them that I've reached financial independence and no longer need this income to support my lifestyle and goals. I'm not your typical advisor that's trying to jump to another uh, firm to take my clients and assets. I've literally reached retirement and uh, ready to do real estate full time. It's what I love to do. And it was a really funny conversation. Thursday, when uh, it was officially my last day, it's interesting that it was actually more scary. I, I've been planning and wanting this for a long time, but I, I recognize that when it actually happens, it's real. And so walking out of the office for the last time and coming home to the kids, it was funny that night. I was just thinking how I don't have a job to go to tomorrow. This is scary. You know, what am I going to do with my time? How am I going to continue? Because I think life's about progression. And so I, I don't want to just sit and do nothing at the house all day either. And so uh, it's been scary and exciting. And I'm really happy and looking forward to the next chapter of my life. So. Yeah, so you're in a bit of a state of confusion, perhaps. Yeah, I am. I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do next? Well, my wife's a real estate broker, and we have a property management company, and I love investing in real estate. And so right now, recently, my time's been consumed with writing a book, actually, and doing some consulting for others who want to try to follow in our footsteps. And I think we did it uh, very organically. It sounds like there's ways we could have done it a lot faster and smarter, but uh, it's worked out very well for us. And we, we are loving sharing our ideas with others now. What's the reaction been of your friends and family? Um, you know, those most close to us, I think we're kind of already in the know that we uh, were doing okay financially and that this was 
something that I wanted to do. But it's funny, the mindset, it's a little scary. Like I talked to my dad and he always depended on an employer to take care of him. And so when I told him the first time, there was a look on his face of real just fear, like scared for me because I no longer have consistent income from uh, an employer to take care of me. But that was never my goal. And I never wanted to have an employer be who dictates how much I can make and, and providing for me. And so a lot of mixed emotions, people who think that I'm too young to be leaving a good career because it was a good career. I really enjoyed my time as a financial planner and learned a lot. And I'm grateful for where it's put me today, but uh, it's, it's exciting. I am really looking forward to it. So some of your coworkers, colleagues, right? I mean, how are they reacting? I mean, do they want what you want? Are they they're like, no, I mean, what, what's their reaction? It's gotta be weird for them as well. Well, um, it's, it's weird because I'm in the financial investing world, right? And so our whole job is to help people get to retirement. And so I think it's just those that are younger, I think are like, how in the world did you do that? And they're putting money away into their retirement accounts and looking forward to a future income that they may derive from that. And so it makes no sense to them. And then I think it's more funny talking to the more uh, seasoned uh, financial planners and investors because they're looking at me like, you're leaving before I am. How does that work? And I'm shocked how few financial advisors out there actually understand assets outside of securities within retirement accounts. There's so many great tax benefits and strategies that can be used with real estate that not all other asset classes can give you. And so it's been a surprise to many and they, I still don't think they understand. I'm interested to having more of those conversations with them in time. A lot of them are good friends. So, I mean, we'll, it'll be fun to talk. So it's three o'clock Eastern. You're not normally home, but clearly you are home right now. What is, I mean, how, what does that feel to you? How, what does your wife think of all this? Oh, I'm sure she's going to get tired of me. I, I don't know. <laughs> She'll put me to work, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's funny because my kids are young, three, five, and eight, and they just turned three, five, and eight. And so we told them that daddy no longer works. He's now doing real estate full time. And so my little girl, Kate, she's so sweet. She ran to her room and grabbed her piggy bank and gave me all of her money and said, here's something to help dad now that you don't have a job anymore. And so I don't think it's yet set in, you know, what that means and why we're able to do this, but it's, it's really, really fun. And yeah, yeah, I'm real excited. Well, what's exciting about this, uh, Jason, is that you don't have like thousands of units, right? People will think, oh my gosh, I need, you know, five, 1500 units to, to retire. Let's talk a little bit more now that we we got this out of the way. I mean, congratulations, first of all. I'm so, so excited for you. Thank uh, you. Let's, let's, let's just, because people are like, now, okay, I want what Jason has. I want to be home at three o'clock in the afternoon and I, I want to experience your temporary sense of confusion. How do I get there? So how did you get here? Start in the beginning. Yeah, 2010 is when we got started. And, and obviously many years before that of having the mindset to know, that real estate was an avenue that we wanted to explore. And so when I met Carrie in 2009, when we got married, her grandpa actually had owned a few fourplexes and had told his grandkids and kids that he made more money in real estate than he did as a state farm agent. And so my wife already knew she wanted to do real estate. She just thought she'd wait till she was 40 or 50 until she'd saved up 25% and then she'd buy a property and then wait another 10 years and buy another. And, you know, that would be it. And, uh, we went to dinner with her parents when they wanted to go from a duplex to a fourplex. And I was this 
24, 23-year-old eager kid that wanted to get involved and learn more and thought I could offer something. I had hardly any money, but I had sweat equity and drive. And so they were kind enough, probably felt empathy that I was the new husband taking care of their daughter and felt like, oh, we got to help this kid. But they were willing to entertain that. So I met with the agent and found out about FHA loans. And he thought I made just enough in order to purchase our own property instead of partnering with them. And so uh, through some due diligence, we barely made it work. And we bought a fourplex when uh, Carrie was 22, I was 24, and used the rent income to cover our mortgage. And that then allowed us to save uh, roughly 700 to 1,000 a month. That instead of increasing our lifestyle, we used to build up for another down payment for the next property. And then that just continued. So let, let, let me stop Let me stop there real quick. So, so you guys decided, not, number one, not to expand your lifestyle. And this is very, very important because in, the, in good old America, what we do is when we make more money, we spend more money. And better yet, we actually try to spend more than we make due to the magic of credit cards. Now, why... Why did you and your wife decide not to do that? What strategy was behind, what thinking was behind that conversation? Well, again, it's what happened before 2010 in my life. I saw my dad be laid off two different times during my teenage years in the tech bubble crisis and housing market crisis. One of those times he was laid off for a year and a half and had to file for unemployment he had to tap into the equity in his home at the wrong time. He had to pull out his 401k and get, take all the taxes and penalties. And I saw the impact it had to us as a family. And so I wanted something more and something better. So there was some drive on my part that I was willing to sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. So Carrie knew that I was financially driven and that was important to me. And she was right along with me. And so we were careful with our expenses. And so we knew that what we were doing actually was just as good as anyone else in our peer group. Most people were living in apartments. We just chose to own ours instead of rent ours. And honestly, uh, I, I learned later that so many people spend the number one category that we have in what we spend our money on is housing. It's 32% in 2017, if you look at the National Bureau of Labor Statistics. So we never spent any money in housing during our marriage. Furthermore, taxes are one of the biggest expenses also. And through real estate, we've learned there's so many ways to shelter your income. And so when you can save what you spend in housing and what you spend on taxes, a lot more of your earned income becomes disposable income that you have left over that we decided to put to work for us in assets like real estate that has continued to build our passive income and equity that we have in them over time. So back in, in the 2010, when you started this, you, you were uh, trying to supplement your income. Were you thinking of eventually I can actually replace my income or were you thinking, hey, I just want some extra income on the side? You know, I think it was more, I realized, <laughs> this shows you how little money I made, but I was exchanging 40 to 50 hours of my time each week for almost the exact same amount of money that I made in rent income from my fourplex I had just purchased. And that did something to my mind where it's like, there is no boss that I have to report to and ask for a raise each year. The only thing I need to do is own more of these and I can significantly increase my income to a level I probably could never make at, at a job or at a career. And it would be a lot easier to do so. I don't have to have a certain type of degree or a certain amount of tenure before I can make the income that I could make if I just find good properties that cash flow. And so that became my mission is building up as much as I could on the side to buy more and more properties as soon as I could. 
So you kind of house hacked your first deal, essentially. Now, can anyone get an FHA loan or do you have to be special to try to, to, do, try to do what you did? Well, most anyone can. You do have to own or occupy the property in order to get the financing. And being that we were young, yeah, we were willing to live there. All of our friends were living in apartments as well. And so that, that is one of the criteria. But FHA financing is one of the easiest ways to get started in real estate. It allows you to buy up to four units per loan, and you can use the rent income as an additional help to qualify. And so my income, I only made about 30000 a year at the time. Because there was rent income from the fourplex, that plus my day job income was enough to qualify for a $434,000 building at that time. So you're, you're saying anyone can do what you did. Anyone can get an FHA loan. How much did you have to put down for that FHA loan? Uh, it ended up being just over 4%. Had I not lived in it, I would have had to put 25% down. Gotcha. Then $108,500 plus closing costs plus reserves. Making $30,000 a year, Michael, how long do you think it would have taken me to save 185 wow. plus the closing costs? I mean, it would have taken decades. But because I was willing to live in it, we were able to make it work. And then I start immediately getting the benefits of appreciation principal reduction, cash flow, and all the tax benefits. So That's amazing. So uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm too young and I have enough money. Well, this is the great and the best way to do it. So you got into this thing, you, you, rented, you lived in one, you and your, your, your wife or, or at that time, and, uh, and then you rented out the other three. And then how do you do that again? Can you do it with an FHA loan? What, what did you do from that point forward? Yeah, typically you can only have one FHA loan per household. And so there are some qualifying reasons where maybe you could, but we didn't know of any reasons and we couldn't any, meet any of those qualifying reasons. So we found out that U.S. Bank and some other credit unions had what's called portfolio loans, money that they keep in house. So they have special criteria for it. And so our next property was a duplex that we owner occupied with 10% down, no PMI insurance. And uh, honestly, it took us four years, Michael, from the fourplex to the duplex. Yeah. We didn't go any other way other than save your way to having enough for a down payment to buy your next property. And it was then after that one that we, I felt like this is too slow. I can't wait three or four years every time to do this. I'll never get to where I want to be. And so you get creative and you learn other strategies as you obtain more knowledge. Well, then what did you do to accelerate that timeline? Well, one thing is I learned that we could have used an FHA in this U.S. bank portfolio loan where we negotiated the commissions where if Carrie or I was an agent, we could get paid to buy the property. And when you're only doing a low amount down, like 5% or 10%, if you get a 3 to 6% agent commission, really, you're not even bringing any money to the table. You literally could use your commissions as the down payment. Now, you have to have the down payment to put down close and then you get the commission. So you can't apply the commission as a down payment. But that changed my whole mindset mm. that is, as I'm owner occupying property at 5% down most of the time, if I can get a commission of three to 6% each time, really I don't have to save up that 5%. And, and again, I was only making 30 or 40,000 during those lean years in my early 20s. And so I didn't have a lot of money to put away. This was a way for me to get into the next property that much faster. And so Carrie got her license and every time I bought a property, she got paid commissions, which helped get our equity or capital out of the property to go and repeat the process to buy another one while still maintaining the asset and helping it run more effectively. And so we came up with creative ways to increase the income of the properties we were buying or decrease the expenses to improve cash flow. 
because the biggest risk you run into when you're highly leveraged or putting less down would be uh, over leveraging obviously and then no longer cash flowing and so we had to be creative on how to raise rents and how to decrease the expenses so that we could operate a profitable and good cash flowing property do you have to live in these properties for a minimum amount of time before you can hop on to the next one Typically, one year or more is what the expectation is. Yeah, once you've lived there a year, oftentimes you can get financing on the next property. And for us, we learned later and, and in the process of it, they typically want to see that there's some type of improvement mm -hmm. from where you're coming from. Otherwise, it looks like you're just trying to get better interest rate terms with less money down and never intend on occupying the property. Uh, a lot of the lenders thought I was crazy. But it's like, no, this is helping me financially. I will live in anything if it's going to improve my financial position. But that's not enough. That's not, you know, there has to be evidence of an increase in size to the property, something that's newer than the one you're coming from, a better neighborhood than where you're at, closer location to work, those types of things. And so, we started out after the multifamily units doing small single family homes into bigger and bigger and bigger until where we are now. Well, let's talk about some of the bigger ones. So it sounds like in the beginning, what you, you kind of house hacked it and you kind of repeated it. You moved, right? And then uh, you did this maybe, let's say once a year, you moved into a, a quad or a duplex. At what point did you start changing that strategy uh, maybe to some, uh, some larger buildings? How, how did that happen? You know, it's really at the point when I realized and learned there are other ways of just living in something because moving really is hard on your family and it's just not fun. And uh, we've made great friends along the way, but it's not something you want to do to your family, especially when they get older and start making friends and are in school. And so our kids are at an age now where we don't want to have to move them all the time. And so we're happy with where we are. But we learned in maybe 2015, so four or five years ago, ways that we could partner on deals where others could be the capital and we could be the means to running and managing the property. Or we negotiated a couple off-market deals where Kerry got a 6 or 7% commission and we used a 15% down loan and went halves with a partner who put the 15% down and then we gave our 7.5% from the commission we had negotiated from the deal. And so creative ways that we didn't have to come out of pocket with any of our own money we use the property or the deal as a means to getting ownership to it. Okay, so you're starting to get a little more creative. So you're getting more creative with the commissions for sure. You mentioned a partner. At what point did you start bringing in partners into deals? 2015 or 2016, we started to introduce partners. We started to use the Burr strategy where we were doing hard money or private money to buy an, an asset that we saw some value add opportunity that we didn't go in and fix up and renovate and then get long-term financing in place a couple months later. And we did a deal just a couple of years ago on a fourplex. We bought for about 355,000. I knew the upside could be closer to 500 if we were able to raise rents and improve some things. I literally just removed all the garbage and debris from the outside, landscaped it and painted the building and since all of the tenants were on month-to-month -month leases, we gave them notice of rent raises of 225 per apartment. So it was about $900 total. Not a single person moved out, Michael. Because it was so the, far under market. It was so far under market. The owner hadn't raised rents in a long time. They were proud of this new owner who was taking care of the property, making it look nicer, and that I was willing to go in over time and improve the inside to the apartments as well, they were happy to pay the additional amount. And so I took the new higher income that the property generated 
to the lender. They reappraised it for almost 500,000 and then we were able to turn around and use the equity of the property as our 25% down payment. And so I spent about $3,000 of my own money to buy a $500,000 fourplex and uh, you know, cash flow just under a thousand a month. That's amazing. So you used a hard money loan to finance the entire acquisition and repairs except for the 3,000? Correct, yeah. Yeah, that is outstanding. That's outstanding. So you're, you're house hacking away with an FHA loan, moving and getting another one, and then you're using hard money to kind of do this on a, on a little bit of a larger stage. And my family didn't have to live in it. And your family didn't have to live it. That was a, a big departure in, in strategy and it worked sure. very well. So you found a great, I love that. You found another, any other kind of creative things that you, that you did afterwards? Well, we've done seller financing too. You know, partnerships has helped quite a bit using a portfolio loan where you could, instead of putting 25% down, do 10 or 15 and take the commission as half of the split. Mm -hmm. We've done that a few times. Uh, you know, the Burr strategy where we use hard money. And then uh, the other ones are, are seller financing. And we had a couple years ago, a home that it had sat on the market for quite a while and the seller wasn't getting the price that she wanted and she was adamant to get the price. And so I gave her her price, but with my terms, we only put 3% down, so 15 grand total. For 15 months, she carried the note, but every payment I made went strictly to principal, except for a very small percentage. And so every single month, I took the rent income from the property to then give back to her, which then reduced the loan balance. And so when I went to get the financing about 15 months later, the property was worth 560 mm. and my uh, loan was about 420. And so again, there was 25% equity when I needed to go get the uh, loan on it and they used the equity as my down payment once again. So uh, great seller financing strategies that are available as well. Yeah, that's very clever. Now, is it possible that you could have quit your job uh, a bit earlier than, than last week? Uh, I probably about three years ago, I started to think about it, but I think it was scary. The idea of leaving consistent income uh, is, is really scary. And, you know, I, I did enjoy what I did, just don't enjoy it as much as I do the real estate investing. Uh, there came a time where my licenses restricted everything that I wanted to do. And so I had to make a decision if I wanted to keep this career and keep doing real estate on the side or just move all in with real estate and that I really enjoyed it. So I probably could have, but I th I'm kind of glad I've gained a lot of experience as an advisor. I think often when I negotiate too, being a fiduciary has helped where I care a lot about the seller's perspective and try to offer recommendations to minimize the taxes on their side or give them ideas for what they could do with the capital thereafter and, and knowing, you know, about different assets as a financial advisor has been helpful. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's helped. And now I'm grateful for what I learned. I'm going to take it and do more with it. That's awesome. So what's your advice to someone who's trying to transition from a full-time W-2 job to full-time you know, investor? Oh, uh, know your numbers well and make sure that it's truly passive income net of all expenses that you feel comfortable taking from your portfolio, from your business. I love investing. I want every month to progress on what my overall net worth is, whether that's my real estate or whether it's my retirement accounts or all of the above. If you're going to start living off of the income from it, uh, you're going to see a setback that you have to make up in one way or another if you want to continue to progress. And so knowing your numbers well, I think is, is one important piece. 
Second, I would say is if you're dependent upon your W-2 job for financing, you need to be careful because when you walk away and lose your W-2 income, banks want stability and W-2 is something that they can source and see history from. And now if you're only using um, 1099 income or passive income from real estate, you may run into some more difficulties for approving income that's enough to qualify from a debt to income perspective. And so I'd be careful of that too, and maybe talk with an underwriter or loan officer who can make sure that if you're using those techniques, mm -hmm. that losing the W-2 income won't compromise your ability to continue to finance other deals. That's great advice. Uh, is there anything that you could have done to possibly accelerate your timeline? I could have gone to Michael Blank's uh, conferences and learned other ways to do it sooner and faster. <laughs> you know, I could have thought bigger perhaps and done bigger deals. Um, I think there was a little bit of, I think I've proven myself to be very good at analyzing the deals, but I've mainly stayed in the two to 20 units or lower. And uh, we've done a handful of those, you know, that are more in the 10 or 20 range. But I think we certainly had the skill set and knowledge and know-how to tackle an 80 or 100 or bigger apartment complex that I could have uh, pulled money and done something sooner that certainly could have helped accelerate. Had you considered uh, raising money from others syndicating at all? I have for a while, Michael, but because of my licenses, I can't and couldn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of working for uh, Edward Jones was selling away from the, the so I couldn't and I, and I didn't do that. But now not having those licenses and no longer being restricted to that, it's certainly something that we'd love to do. It's certainly an argument for, for possibly quitting your job earlier that would have done that. But, I mean, but now you're full time, right? And now you can, you can actually focus on this, and, on this, on this full time and, and really move it forward. So what, what are your, kind of your plans for the next year or so? Well, we already had a side business. Carrie's a broker. We have a management company in the brokerage. But a lot of people love my insights as a financial advisor and real estate investor. And so a lot of people use Carrie and I for consulting to assess their financial situation and how they can improve what they're doing currently and, and in the future and create a strategy. So that's partly what I'm doing, but that's more almost a filter to see who's an accredited investor who may be interested in the bigger projects that we want to do now with syndication and, and some bigger apartment complexes. You have an interesting perspective because you're obviously a syndicator and entrepreneur yourself, but your clients are not, right? These are accredited investors of some sort. So let's uh, speak to the to the passive investor for a moment, who, by the way, they want the same thing that you want. They want to get out of their job. They want to get out of their dentist practice or their, their partnership of, of some sort. And most people are thinking, you know, stock market, right? Because that's what financial advisors advise them to. If you were to speak to speak to them, what would you tell people about? Hey, I have some money to invest, and yes, there's a stock market, but there's these other things as well. What's what should the you know the passive investor be thinking about about where they might want to invest? Yeah, those are great. And there's lots of things I guess I could say about that. First off, at least in my approach of how I've built our portfolio, every new financed property more that you have, additional reserve requirements are needed in order to get another financed property. And so I didn't want to have all my eggs in real estate either. I did want to have reserves and assets elsewhere, but I also didn't want to have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in savings or checking, earning minimal interest, if any. And so I've used a combination of Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks in combination of my real estate portfolio. And so I think it's a great combination to use both. And, and let me kind of explain why. First, I get the diversification. I still believe stocks are good investments. 
they're not anything that I believe can benefit me now. It's something that I'm putting off for a future date, which to me is not as exciting as real estate that can immediately benefit me. And so my main passion and goal is to build my real estate portfolio to generate passive income now and for my future, and then use the additional income to help fund my retirement accounts so that I have more reserves that the banks can use for financing more real estate properties. And so I use Roth accounts for two reasons. One, Roth's accounts grow tax-free. So in the future, I can provide an income that's tax-free and not subject to tax. But second, I don't need the deductibility of, of the traditional SEP or solo K contributions because I use depreciation from my real estate to shelter my income. And so I get the best of both worlds. Depreciation is a non-cash expense. And so I can use depreciation to shelter all my income that then saves money I don't give to the government or the IRS. I'm able to then use to buy more real estate, but then the real estate is a way to help me find more Roth accounts and depreciation because it's again a non-cash expense. When buying property, the underwriters can add the depreciation credit back to my total income. So for qualifying purposes, my income looks really strong, but for tax purposes, it looks really weak, so I don't have to pay a lot of tax. And so for me, it's a recipe where I'm growing tax-free wealth in my Roth accounts, and I'm also growing my real estate portfolio tax efficiently, using the two together to help benefit each other. And so I, I don't like these arguments of which one's best. They both have purposes that can help benefit you. Real estate, I think, trumps all of them with all the benefits it offers, but it's not something where I think everyone should have all their money in real estate only. There's ways to utilize other assets for your benefit to, to grow a real estate business. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, especially in these volatile times with stock market, people are going, my gosh, what else is there? Real estate, guys, real estate. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. And you can dollar cost average into real estate just like you can stock investing. And so if the numbers make sense now and you can improve upon those numbers and you're buying for cash flow, you don't have to time the market. Time in the market is what's going to make the biggest difference. So the sooner you can get started, the more time you have to reap the benefits that real estate offers. And there's many, appreciation, cash flow, principal reduction, and then all the tax benefits. You need to get started now and not wait till you're in your 40s or 50s like Carrie's, Carrie's perception of it initially thought it would be. That's so awesome. Hey, Jason, how can people connect with you? CreativeGainsLLC at gmail.com is our email address. That's G-A-I-N-S or our website, GetCreativeGains.com. Our office manager's Lisa Turner, 801-362-0784. Jason, this is great. I, I'm so glad I caught you days after your last day on the job. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming on the show and so awesome. Congratulations. So excited for the future and I'm excited to read your book. Thank you, Michael. You know, if I remember correctly, when I interviewed Keith Weinhold and Get Rich Education, he too house hacked the quad with an FHA loan up in Alaska. And if I also remember correctly, Tyler Sheff, now real estate investor and podcaster and author, also did the same exact thing. So there is really no excuse for anyone to not get into this game because an FHA loan is 3% down, 
but you have to make the right choices. And so Jason and his wife decided to not increase their spending with the income, but to continue investing in that business. And he admitted freely, if, had, if he had discovered syndication or raising money, he would have been able to accelerate it. But even if he didn't, even if he didn't, it took him seven years with little tiny quads and duplexes to get to where he is today. And he probably could have quit three years ago. And that is really, really exciting that, that you're able to do that. So even with small deals, even with not even raising money, it's just so, so powerful. And the other thing, other message also, which I really love his perspective as a financial advisor, because there's a lot of you guys out there who have some money in the stock market and you're not sure. You're like, my gosh, the stock market's down, mostly down, it's up. I don't know where it's going. What's 2019 going to bring? And you're really scratching your head and you should be scratching your head because the volatility in the stock market is really scary, especially if you're a little closer to retirement. But even even if you're not, you're like, man, I want to do some consistent planning here. Where can I put my money to kind of smooth out the curve a little bit? And it's not that you should take all your money out of the stock market. It's that you should look at alternative investments. And this is why multifamily investing is the most exciting thing out there because the returns you're getting are much less volatile. They're above average, above the stock market. And number two, the risk profile of multifamily is substantially better than any other asset class, including the stock market. For example, 2008 and the Great Recession, uh, single family house residential default rate for Fannie and Freddie backed loans was 4%. That's a lot, okay? In comparison, multifamily was only 0.4%. Basically close to zero was the default rate in that same time. So the risk profile is very attractive. And then Jason mentioned some of these tax advantages uh, with a depreciation that the tax law allows you to depreciate the value of a building over a period of years, and it's an actually a phantom expense. And now what we do for our properties, we do a cost segregation analysis, which allows you to accelerate that and depreciate more. So let's say you're a past investor, you invest $100,000, and let's say you know you get a 10% cash on cash return of $10,000 per year. Because of the cost segregation and, and the accelerated depreciation, you're not even showing a taxable income on your K-1, you're actually showing a taxable loss. So you're not paying any taxes on that gain, which in the stock market, everybody knows you're paying at least short-term capital gains uh, or, 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 or long-term capital gains. Well, with multifamily real estate, you don't even have that. And if you can't use the passive losses, you can carry them forward as well. So it's really, really unusual combination. And this is why I encourage every one of you guys who has money in the stock market and you're scratching ahead to look at multifamily syndication. So if you're interested, you can go to the michaelblank.com forward slash invest. And uh, you can register with our investor portal and we'll get to know each other a little bit more. And, uh, and then we can show you some opportunities that we have. And it's just a fabulous way to kind of diversify your assets. And the more you get into it, the more you will take out of the stock market. Trust me on that. But for now, just look into it. It's just so powerful. And I'm just really, really excited about that. So the michaelblank.com forward slash invest. All right, guys, that's all I have for you guys. I hope you were inspired by Jason. I, I, I certainly was. These are the most popular podcast episodes because it shows how everyone can actually quit their job with real estate. And that's why I wrote this book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, this yellow book. Still a bestseller on Amazon right now. I highly encourage you guys, buy and read this book. And it really shows you the blueprint to quitting your job in three to five years now, with syndicating. And in fact, the case studies I have in there, it all takes them one to two years. It's very, very powerful. And so I encourage you guys to look into it. Appreciate it. Thanks so much here for watching, listening. Catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook. 
the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.